and we start the show with some breaking news. The Miami Dolphins have signed Jay Cutler. It's official. Jay Cutler has signed his contract for more than $10 million to play one season with the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> that is just so Dolphins. They could have had a better quarterback in Colin Kaepernick. But because they were afraid of bigoted fans lashing out over Colin Kaepernick's t-shirt, a t-shirt that he wore, they were forced to overpay Jay Cutler to put out his cigarette and come out of retirement. I mean, Jay Cutler is terrible. A significant downgrade from Ryan Tannehill, a significant downgrade from Colin Kaepernick, and at best, the equivalent of Matt Moore. That's what Miami Dolphins are getting in Jay Cutler. Oh, poor Dolphins. You poor, poor Dolphins just crawling around in the dark. That's how I imagine the Miami Dolphins front office. Just no lights and some overweight white guys crawling around in the dark, bumping their heads on furniture. I mean, that's how I envision the Miami Dolphins front office. It's been like that for as long as I can remember. They've been making asinine decisions, like paying, let me get this straight, more money for a worse quarterback on the market. Okay. What? Oh, we're worried about losing sponsors if Colin Kaepernick... Because people just don't think Colin Kaepernick's a good guy. Because people think Colin Kaepernick's un-American. Even though he's anything but un-American. If anything, Colin Kaepernick is the quintessential American. Exercising his right to freedom of expression. To disrupt social norms. Raise awareness of social issues. And instigate change. He's absolutely an instigator. And instigating is one of the great traits of the American. We've been instigating change for a long time. It's the thing we're most proudest of. Fourth of July, all the fireworks that you knuckleheads light off, terrifying pets and stressing out war veterans. You know that holiday that you love so much? It celebrates American instigation. But we don't want an instigator in our huddle playing games for a living. No, 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 no. That would cost the franchise money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might lose $10 million in sponsorships. Oh, wait, oh, let's just give that money to Jay Cutler instead. Jay Cutler, a black hole for team morale. Just his mere presence in the locker room and on the field is a drain on team morale. Every Miami Dolphin looks over at Jay Cutler is made to question their profession. New England Patriots teammates say they look at Tom Brady working in practice and it's inspiring. The opposite is true of Jay Cutler. He doesn't want to be there. He said as much in his public statement upon signing with the Miami Dolphins. He essentially said he was enjoying his time away from football. He was not motivated to come back, but the Miami Dolphins compelled him to come back with money. Cold, hard cash. And Colin Kaepernick would have played for a fraction of that. And Matt Moore would have delivered equivalent performances this season for no extra cost. But no, 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 no. It's money well spent. Sign up the mercenary quarterback who harbors a brooding disdain for the sport of football. Hell, sign that guy up. That's the path to a championship. I mean, they might as well have lit 
$10 million of cigarettes on fire. Because Jay Cutler is not merely a team killer, a morale killer. He's also bad at playing quarterback. I mean, look at his career numbers. A career 85.7 passer rating? That's dreadful. A 62% completion percentage? Awful. A 208 to 146 touchdown to interception ratio? (laughs) That's abhorrent. And this was before he tore his labrum in his throwing arm. As we're seeing with Andrew Luck, a torn labrum in your throwing arm is a problem. Andrew Luck may never be the same because he was allowed to play injured. He wasn't playing hurt, he was playing injured. We're going to talk about this today, this idea that players are allowed to play injured and threaten their career so the team can win an extra game or two in the short run. What we're seeing play out with Andrew Luck now is a microcosm for how the NFL treats even its most precious asset, the quarterback. The quarterback. Even the Golden Goose quarterback isn't safe from the NFL's rampant negligence with player health and safety. And here we see Jay Cutler coming back from a torn labrum in his shoulder, but at least he's able to practice because he didn't play through the pain as Andrew Luck did, unfortunately. So a player that we admire, who's wired in the right way to be great, Andrew Luck, has been laid low by that mentality. His drive to play, regardless of the consequence, is why Andrew Luck can't practice right now. And Jay Cutler's ambivalence to the sport of football is the reason why he has refused to play hurt throughout his career, and he's now on the Dolphins practice field throwing footballs, cashing checks for $10 million. You might say, oh, well, Adam Gaze. Adam Gaze has fixed Jay Cutler. Yes, Adam Gaze fixed Jay Cutler. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Adam Gaze minimized the damage that Jay Cutler can do, but Jay Cutler can still do plenty of damage on any given Sunday. In 2015, his last full season, a season with Adam Gase, Jake Cutler threw more short passes than Alex Smith. Alex Smith, in the season in which Alex Smith did not throw a single touchdown pass to a wide receiver, he still threw more passes to the intermediate and deep quadrants of the football field than Jake Cutler did that same season. But Cutler still turned the ball over 17 times that season while only throwing 21 touchdowns. That's stunning. Why? Because what Adam Gaze did with Ryan Tannehill, essentially cutting off his arm and throwing him in a dungeon to hide him, he learned that tactic coaching Jay Cutler. But now, Jay Cutler's coming off a torn labrum. So what is he now? He's a game manager with a gunslinger mentality and a compromised shoulder. (laughs) That's what he is. His arm has since deteriorated from what it used to be. He's now 34 years old. He used to execute throws with arm talent alone. He's no longer capable of that. So now what is Jay Cutler? All we're left with with Jay Cutler is just the poor decision making. Like, that's it. That's all he has left to give are bad decisions and awful body language. (laughs) And now instead of having Brandon Marshall as his primary receiver, Jay Cutler has Jarvis Landry who does quarterbacks no favors, running the shallowest routes in the history of the NFL. Jarvis Landry running the running back route tree from the wide receiver position. Jay Cutler is a neutered gunslinger. He's a reckless game manager without an arm. (laughs) Congratulations! Congratulations, Miami! Look what you've won in free agency. A reckless game manager 
with no arm. <laughs> That's not much different than what they had with Ryan Tannehill. A careful game manager with one leg. And you do not want to be playing Jay Cutler in even the deepest leagues. I mean, you have to go out to the deepest two quarterback leagues to justify drafting Jay Cutler. And I've always wondered who is going to launch a seasonal fantasy league that has the qualities we enjoy in DFS GPPs. Essentially, a redraft tournament. This is what I want to join. And then it was brought to my attention this week that this exists. It exists with real-time fantasy sports. Real-time fantasy sports offers draft master best ball leagues with entry into a 144-team tournament with a $32,000 prize pool paying out $10,000 to the grand prize champion. This is the league I want to join. You get the upside of a high-stakes league without a high-stakes buy-in. So go to rtsports.com forward slash underworld and sign up today to join me in the Real-Time Fantasy Football Championship. And Ryan Tannehill might as well join because Ryan Tannehill won't be playing football this season. The Miami Dolphins did Ryan Tannehill wrong. I'm not a doctor, but 20 minutes of research on a partially torn ACL is all you need to figure out very quickly that the proper course of action for a professional athlete suffering a partially torn ACL is ACL repair surgery. That's it. Maybe if you're an older gentleman and your athletic career is well behind you, you can opt for rehabilitation. You can opt to strengthen the knee rather than repairing it. If you're 60 years old, if there's some risk that going in for surgery will cause other complications, but otherwise, if you're a strong, healthy, fit adult and you partially tear your ACL, it's torn. I know it's a partial tear. It's not a full tear, but it's a tear nonetheless. And a cursory review of medical best practices tells you you get that fixed because the knee is destabilized. You're opening yourself up for potentially a catastrophic injury if you continue to exercise on a partially torn ACL. This is common practice that we're talking about. This isn't this super esoteric strand of medicine. No, no. What the Miami Dolphins did to Ryan Tannehill was negligent, and it illustrates a larger problem. Oftentimes, team doctors collude with the coaching staff and management. Not necessarily overtly, sometimes it's subversive, but there's bias involved with the recommendations of team doctors. Almost always, it's very difficult to be unbiased when you're standing on the sideline wearing team gear, and the interests of the team are your interests. Getting the best players on the field as quickly as possible is your goal, as well as the health of the players. There's a conflict of interest there, and it's undeniable, and it's inescapable. We've talked about it on this show. The conflict of interest that doctors have when evaluating players for concussions, when diagnosing painkillers. This is a known problem in the NFL. Just watch HBO Real Sports. They've done in-depth investigative journalism around these issues. And now we see Ryan Tannehill out for the season. Why? Because the team allowed him to simply strengthen a torn ACL as opposed to repairing it. I have no idea why. I have no idea. Maybe it's because they viewed Ryan Tannehill as replaceable because after this year, they can 
easily get out of his contract and that if they were to lose Ryan Tannehill for the year, it would torpedo their chances at the playoffs this season. The team had a lot at stake and inevitably such high stakes creates pressure on the player to not miss time. Can't make the club in the tub. And again, it's not always overt pressure. Sometimes it's subversive. We've talked about how Tom Coughlin goes to the media and laments Odell Beckham Jr. missing practice with a pulled hamstring. Like it's Odell Beckham Jr.'s fault. Like Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't want to be practicing. Like he's lazy. Coaches so often treat injuries as laziness. They're not synonymous. Injured players are injured. You should care for them. You should not bend your will to coerce them back on the field before they're ready while they're still injured. Oftentimes, forcing the player to take painkillers to practice and play. This is the NFL. It's immoral. But this is the business that we're in. This is the business that player profilers in. This is the business that I'm in. And this is the sport that so many in this audience gravitate to. But we just have to deal with it. There is a moral conflict at play. And when you see a player done wrong, it highlights the moral conflict. And this isn't the first time I've talked about it on this show. And I had a doctor in the audience email me a very long email, but I thought it was very polite and I think I should read it on the air. He said, first, let me say I love the show. Love, love, love the show. New to listening to the podcast this year after my previous orthopedic fellow was also a Dynasty League player and he would talk about your show at the scrub sink and I felt compelled to listen. It's outstanding work. And with that said, your analysis of Ryan Tannehill was way off. Wow, this doctor should go into sports radio because he did the whole preface thing. He softened it. With that said, you're wrong. And here's why. After this break. So with that said, as a former member of a team physician group for a Division I program, I can see that medical experience is quite the opposite of what you described. I'm pragmatic enough to know that there are motivations to get the team on the field, but I'm not aware of any program in any rumor mill that has ever had nefarious collusion that you describe. I can comfortably and thankfully say that the team really gives the most leeway and independence to the medical staff to provide appropriate distance to make the right call. Additionally, there are often agents that are objective second opinions that will not allow for teams to overtly act against the player's best interest. So the bottom line is the stuff that I describe on the podcast doesn't happen. That's what this doctor is contending. But he goes on to say that I'm not currently treating Ryan Tannehill, but he can anticipate what occurred. A partial tear of the ACL is a tough sell to the athlete. Most of the time, the athlete wants to rehab it and try to play if they can. Retrospective analysis will say that Tannehill should have had it repaired. Many times, the athletes themselves will not sign off on it. Many do not appreciate the timing of the surgery that is required and how that affects these judgment calls. Recognizing that his season would have been done had he had the surgery in January, teams and players may ultimately choose the rehab route and hope it can get better and asymptomatic. Case in point, Victor Martinez of the Detroit Tigers went this route. Victor Martinez, by the way, a DH. So DH, big difference. You're going up and you're hitting a ball four times a game. That's not playing quarterback in the NFL. That was my editorializing. I will continue with the letter. 
The subtle timing of the question is to make a decision with sufficient time to rehab and limit the consequences of time lost in the 2018 season. This is what Miami was facing, so teams ultimately make a drop-dead timing decision to ensure that there's a year to sufficiently recover. In essence, a surgery in January is effectively the same as a surgery in August, and with the added benefit of the patient-slash-athlete having full buy-in. The actual mistake would have been to have surgery in December, where the potential of having a 2019 season being compromised becomes an issue. Hope this helps. Keep up the fantastic work. I really enjoy the show. This message is totally fair. I totally understand how it happens. Just like I understand how biases infect the medical staff and management and the player and doctors and management feel as if they're acting in the best interest of the player and the player feels as if he's acting in the best interest of the team. It's a feel-good decision oftentimes. This isn't like a decision made by the mob where someone feels like they either do what they're told or something bad is going to happen. That's not it. This isn't a mafia-style ordeal. I do believe that everyone involved feels like they're doing right by all parties involved. But I'm here to tell you that's not what actually occurs. But this is why you need external controls in place. This is why you have a players union to help navigate all of the conflicts of interests. So I wrote back this doctor and I said, thank you for the perspective. But unfortunately, there are many stories at the professional level where players feel like they've been conspired against by management and team doctors. Jonathan Feeney of the New England Patriots filed a grievance after he believes Patriots doctors put the team ahead of his health and it ruined his career. Linebacker named Ted Johnson claims that he was pressured into playing with concussions because you can't make the club in the tub. And that is my biggest objection because I'm sure that the doctors in our audience are super ethical and that this probably happens less in college. This is what I wrote back, but it's also true that oftentimes when NFL players get second opinions, those second opinions almost always suggest a more conservative treatment approach, more time off, more surgery, less playing through pain, almost always. I mean, Santana Moss tells a story about how he tore up his knee as a rookie in the NFL and he opted for a meniscus surgery with an elongated recovery timetable and the coaches pushed him down the depth chart because of it. But after getting a second opinion, he and his agent met with independent doctors and the recommendation was have the more expansive surgery and you'll enjoy a longer career. You go the two-week route, just get it cleaned up and scoped, your knee will never be the same. We've talked on this show about Marcellus Wiley, how he was diagnosed with a groin strain and given Toradol for an entire season. Turns out he was playing on a torn abdominal wall and he was never the same player after that. Why? Because we just need to get Marcellus Wiley out there on the field. How well he performs next year and the year after that is of little concern to the teams. They treat these players as disposable pieces. We know this. And I went on to write back to this doctor, hey, with Tannehill, playing on a torn ACL should not even have been offered as an option to the player. Just like playing on painkillers should never be offered as an option. The NFL is already a borderline inhumane sport. So this can't make the club in the tub in quotes culture needs to be stamped out from the top down. You can't allow a player to opt to play on a torn ACL. That simply cannot be a choice that's put on the table. But the issue is... 
If a team doctor does not clear injured players to play the following week, the team will just replace that doctor. If you're not aggressive enough and a coach like Bill Belichick thinks that there are players with red jerseys on that should be practicing, guess what? Is he going to fire the player? No, fire the doctor. So it's a systematic problem. But my larger point is the doctors are not blameless just because they're operating in a system that conspires against them providing the best care to the athletes. And after I wrote that back, the doctor replied again. I thought he's never going to reply back. Now he hates me. I just lost a listener. But that's not what happened. He replied. He said, and that's why I love the show. Your response is filled with reasonable, objective opinion. And while I may disagree, it's a low sample size. Certainly not a sample size of zero. So we agree to disagree. And we all agree to move forward. Some of us building careers around a game, fantasy football, that's layered on top of another game, football, that at its core is immoral. Where players are destroying their lives, their brain capacity, for our entertainment. But I'm already in like 15 leagues. So what are you going to do, right? I mean, I'm in like 10 dynasty leagues. I do a mock every night for some new fantasy platform or publication. We have four listener leagues set up. Now, listener leagues are officially closed, but I think some of the listeners may not know that there's going to be an entry fee and prizes, and some may back out. So if you want to qualify for a listener league, go to patreon.com, type in podfather, and join the listener community. When you sign up for Patreon, you get what? You get a shirt or a hoodie. You get an extra show, the Backstage Pass. The Backstage Pass shows lately have been a full breakdown of all the metrics on all the player pages per position. I put my professor hat on, and I'm teaching class every week on Patreon. And that's in addition to the forums, trade advice, trade discussions, draft advice, draft pick tips, and of course, the listener leagues. So go to patreon.com, search Podfather, and if you're not signed up, do it and do it now. Because if you like the show, provide value in return in the form of a patron pledge. And if you like fantasy football, I would join one of these best ball contests on the Draft app. Oh, Draft. Draft is really making it difficult for me to focus on my day-to-day activities because I always seem to have one of these slower, fast drafts going. No matter where I am, grocery store, bank, picking up my daughter, I'm drafting players. So the Draft app is a revolution. You can join a full-season Draftmaster Best Ball League that's either fast draft or slow draft now in August. But then during the season, the beauty is the Draft app also has DFS contests where you create lineups using snake drafts so that your lineup always has unique players versus the competition. So go to your app store, type in draft, or go to playdraft.com, get the app, and when you sign up, enter the promo code UNDERWORLD for free entry into a best ball draft on the first deposit of $10 or more. After all this medical talk, shouldn't we go talk to a doctor? I think we should. We're going to talk to Nick Giffen from Rotoviz. And guess what his handle is? Ah, yes. I'm sure you're not surprised given the topic today. Follow him at RotoDoc on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Nick Geffen. Nick Geffen is the RotoDoc. That's what we want on today's show. We need the help of doctors to talk about this Ryan Tannehill situation. Roto Doc, 
talk to me. Yeah, I'm uh, super excited first to be on here. And uh, I also just wanted to preface by saying I am a doctor. I'm actually a doctor, a real doctor of mathematics. What? So I, I can do all the neat diagnosis that you want. Wait, you're not a medical doctor? You're, you have a PhD in mathematics? You're not a medical doctor? No, not at all. But I did stay at Holiday Inn last night, so that was kind of cool. Okay. So, off we go to my question about Ryan Tannehill's knee to a non-medical doctor. Did the Dolphins fuck over Ryan Tannehill by botching the diagnosis and or treatment for his partially torn ACL? I think the answer here is actually yes. I mean, right? I mean, of course. You don't need to be a doctor to say yes. We have hindsight bias. It tells us that was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, clearly. It's not stable, clearly. He runs out of the pocket once, one scramble, and it's over. From everything I've read, yeah, like a partially torn ACL is still torn, right? I mean, it still has a tear in it and is not going to recover on its own. That's why you need to treat it. So, yes, they screwed him over. I think they thought, oh, well, it's partially torn. We can just bring him back and hope it doesn't get worse or anything like that. That's not how these things work. Uh, and and so, yeah, they fucked him over. He is now... Uh, not going to play this year, it sounds like. So uh, we got this whole Jay Cutler thing going on. That's just that's just wild. Um, you know, Mr. Assman himself. Well, it was a make or break year for Ryan Tannehill this year for his contract status, for his prestige in the NFL, for his reputation was on the line this year. If he put together an efficient season, he would have vaulted up into the, the next echelon of NFL quarterbacks. So there was a lot at stake, and I believe Ryan Tannehill, knowing there was a lot at stake, wanted to come back via the rehabilitation route, not having it repaired with surgery. But it's the medical doctor's, which you're not, role and responsibility to advise against that, to say we understand that you want to be out there, we want to have you out there, but if you are looking out for the long-term interest of your career so you can play not just this year but five years from now in the NFL if you want to be an NFL quarterback for the long run you need to get this ACL repaired properly now the Dolphins team doctors botched the diagnosis and the suggested treatment and Ryan Tannehill is also to blame because he should have sought a second opinion and I believe a second opinion would have suggested surgery and he should have listened to the second opinion, but he didn't want to hear a second opinion. He wanted to be out there. He just needed confirmation from Dolphins doctors that it was possible to rehabilitate the knee. Once he heard that, I'm sure it was cognitive dissonance after that. No way he'll accept anything else other than I'm coming back. I'm going to be out there in week one of the 2017 season. And now he won't be. Now it's going to be Jay Cutler. But my question is, is Jay Cutler even better than Matt Moore? You know, I, I was actually just obviously looking over their stats when when the news came out that Jay Cutler was going to sign with Miami uh, and, and come out of pseudo retirement or whatever it was. Uh, and, you know, I'm not so sure he's actually that much better than Matt Moore. Uh you know, Jay Cutler's going into his age 34 season, Matt Moore going into his age 33 season. If you look at their career AYA, which is a number I love looking at just to look at quarterback success. Adjusted yards per attempt, it factors in interceptions to the average yards per attempt. As well as touchdowns. So if, if you look at their career adjusted yards per attempt, Jay Cutler 6.7, Matt Moore 6.4. But Jay Cutler actually 
Uh, put up a career year in 2015 in terms of adjusted yards per attempt, 7.4, but then dropped down to seven point or 6.7 the following year. Matt Moore, his only season... But they will say that was because of Adam Gaze. No, that's confusing cause and effect. Right. The cause of the career-high AYA was actually Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey on performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then, you know, Matt Moore, he's started one year, uh, had one year ever of starting more than five games, and his AYA that year was actually 7.0, which is a... a kind of a level I like to define as a successful career if you start at least eight games and have a season of AYA 7.0 or greater in that. So not not a successful career, but at least had one successful season, I should say. So Matt Moore has passed that threshold, but he's not been great uh, over his whole career. So I think Jay Cutler is an upgrade, albeit maybe just a tiny one. They're the same guy. They're both gunslingers. They have the elevated yards per attempt with the extra interceptions. That's who they are. These are guys that like to throw the ball recklessly. That's Matt Moore. That's Jay Cutler. They're the same guy. They went out and spent $10 million on the same guy. They're going to have to make Jay Cutler the starter because they gave him the money and he has the brand recognition, the cachet, if you can say that Jay Cutler of all players has cachet, but at least Jay Cutler has more cachet than Matt Moore. It's a bad situation for the Dolphins, but it's not that bad. Neither one of these guys is a major downgrade from Ryan Tannehill. You play the season out 10 times for each quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Moore, Jay Cutler as the starter. You can't tell me which of the three would end up with the best season. Just by probabilities, they're going to give you about the same output no matter how many times you play out the season because one guy's a game manager, so he'll throw for a lower yards per attempt with less interceptions. The other two guys are gunslingers, but when you look at the fantasy points per game, it's going to shake out to be about the same. About the same. Yep. Yeah. No one is impressed with the quarterback play in Miami. It's why, historically, we have not advocated drafting Dolphins wide receivers, particularly the secondary options, the Devontae Parkers and the Kenny Stills, because you don't want to draft the number two and number three options on low-volume, inefficient offenses. That's just not how you win in fantasy football. Now, looking to the Colts, you want to draft the second receiver on the Colts because he's tethered to Andrew Luck. If Andrew Luck is healthy, Dante Moncrief will be productive. You can just book it. But Andrew Luck may not be healthy. Now, I'm asking you another medical-related question, even though, as it turns out, you're not a medical doctor. So I have botched this entire show. But the question remains, Andrew Luck is still not throwing and will miss the entire preseason and perhaps regular season games, and yet no one seems to care. His ADP has hovered around the Drew Brees level on MFL 10s, is starting to decline somewhat, but he has a very insulated ADP, and I don't understand why. Why? Tell me why. Do you have any explanation? No, I, I have no explanation. Uh, I, I think it might be people getting caught on auto draft or something. Uh, <laughs> that No, these are sicko diehards playing on MFL. Yeah, well, I, I've gotten caught on auto draft once or twice. The MFL 10 sicko diehard is not out here auto drafting. These people are crazy. I think some of the sicko diehards are, are not drafting him, hoping the other people who are more casually playing, especially this time of year. Oh, the Marks. Yes. What you're saying is the Sharks are hoping the Marks draft Andrew Luck, and that is what's happening. Yeah, I think so. And and I care. I think, you know, Andrew Luck not throwing right now, starting on the pup, that is something to be 
worried about. First of all, Dante Moncrief, he's outside of touchdowns. He's terrible. The one of the worst depth adjusted uh, efficiencies in the league. But outside of catching touchdowns, he's hair terrible. Now, of course, touchdowns matter in fantasy. So that that matters for Moncrief. Matters for T.Y. Hilton. It matters for my guy, Eric Swoop, who I have been all about this offseason because Eric what? Swoop is a a large yards per attempt guy down the field tight end highest uh, one of the highest true a dots in the league for tight ends one of the highest true yards after catch in the league for tight ends that's adjusting for sample size eric swoop is my sleeper of the year whoa, 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 what who is this eric swoop guy i feel like i know this name from somewhere eric swoop hmm i don't know there's a podcast that i might have heard the name eric swoop on once or twice or ten times yeah, all of my podcasts. <laughs> Eric Swoop, is this the same tight end who posted a yards per target of 13.5 last year, albeit on a small sample, juxtaposed with Dante Moncrief's 5.5 yards per target? Same guy, we're talking about the same Eric Swoop here? Mm-hmm, yep, that same Eric Swoop who, basically, if you compare him to another tight end, Austin Safarian Jenkins, yeah! Jenkins would have to go two for two on his next two targets for 173 yards to match what Eric Swoop did. So, uh, you know, he put up better numbers than Austin Sferian Jenkins by a mile on basically the same sample size. And everybody's drafting ASJ for whatever reason. Uh, I don't get it. I'm on Eric Swoop. Give me Eric Swoop all day, unless Andrew Luck can't play. The Colts are one of the league leaders in 12 personnel, two tight end sets. So, especially in the red zone, they love to roll out both Doyle and this year Swoop because Swoop posted a significant snap share last year. I mean, it was over 33% for a converted basketball player in his second year playing the sport. Still logged a 33% snap share. Now, no more Dwayne Allen. That snap share is going to rise over 60 given the rate that the Colts run two tight end sets. And we are going to see Eric Swoop vulture multiple touchdowns from jack doyle this season and i cannot wait to see the faces of the fantasy gamers trusting jack doyle this year that's a mistake now again on the topic of physiology in a conversation with someone who's not an actual medical doctor makes no sense but i'm curious about brandon marshall Brandon Marshall at age 33 is expected to post well under a thousand yards. No one's projecting Brandon Marshall to eclipse a thousand yards. Yet Jordy Nelson is a little more than a year younger than Brandon Marshall, and he's a first round pick. So explain that one to me. Well, I think the big difference between Jordy Nelson and Brandon Marshall isn't their age, it's Odell Beckham Jr., of course. Uh, Jordy Nelson is the wide receiver one on his team, Brandon Marshall is not. When we, it's funny though because they, I think they are closer than maybe their draft positions show. They have to be. How could yeah. they not be? Well, and that's what I'm saying. If I go over to Josh Hermsmeyer's site, airyards.com, and we pull up a comparison of Brandon Marshall and Jordy Nelson, uh, of course, Marshall only played 15 games and Nelson played 16, but they're 200 yards apart in air yards. Their average depth of target is basically the same. Their market share of air yards is basically the same. Their target share is the same. Their weighted opportunity rating is the same. The only difference was their PPR points. Marshall just wasn't quite as efficient, especially getting in the end zone. But but Marshall only dropped 5% of his targets. Marshall's drop rate was actually an improvement last year on his historic drop rate, but he only caught 46% of his passes. Why? Because they were errant. 
He was trying to catch passes from Bryce Petty. Who do you think is going to be successful in that scenario? Who? Oh, I'm with you. Who's going to be efficient catching passes from Bryce Petty? Who? Who is going to be able to keep his morale high and not take plays off when every time you get open, another pass sails over your head from Bryce Petty? You can absolutely rationalize away the failures of Brandon Marshall given the challenges that he faced last season. Yeah, I'm 100% with you, and and everything I listed there was volume stats. They were the same in volume, basically, Marshall and Jordy Nelson. The only difference was efficiency, and you got it right there. Aaron Rodgers or Bryce Petty and Ryan Fitzpatrick, (laughs) right? Right? I mean, a washed Ryan Fitzpatrick or Bryce Petty. I mean, get out of here. I like Brandon Marshall this year at his ADP. I do not like Jordy Nelson this year at his ADP. I'm just not into drafting 32-year-old wide receivers in the first round. That's just not something I do. You're never going to see me do that, and I'm not sorry about it. I'll take the 33-year-old wide receiver with the equally impressive resume many rounds later. Now, we talked about the Jets. Unfortunately, they lost Quincy Inunua. This is bad news for us because Inunua was one of our top sleeper options this season, right up there with Cole Beasley. Pray for Cole Beasley. Please protect him. Put him in bubble wrap out there. Please, God, do not let anything happen to my boy Cole Beasley after we already lost, sadly. (laughs) Jeez, I can't. I told myself I wouldn't. God, (sighs) jeez. Excuse me. I told my... Rest in peace, Quincy. So now we turn our attention (laughs) to Robbie Anderson. So, Nick, do you think Robbie Anderson's going to break out? No. No, Robbie Anderson's not good. There's there's a lot of hype, I guess, around Robbie Anderson. And uh, is there? Yeah. I've- is there hype? You mean recently on Twitter, the last 24 hours, that kind of hype? Oh, yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it actually even leading up to uh, up to this year as well. Just the fact that the Jets don't have anybody uh, who, who, you know, when Eric Decker got traded or got released, I should say, Robbie Anderson was the next big hype thing. But he's done nothing in his career. Yeah, he has some interesting comparables if you remove draft position, but we need to include draft position. Like who? Like who? Who's an interesting comparable? Deshaun Jackson's an interesting comp in terms of speed. No, he's not. He's 6'3". Deshaun Jackson's 5'10". What are you talking about? That's not a comp. Right, right. I'm talking in terms of speed and in terms of uh, you know depth of target and things like that. So you know these are all oh. things that... You know, Come on. They're, they're average comps, and then when you add in draft position, they're nowhere near the same. So I've got my... Yeah, he's Jerome Simpson. That's what he is. Yeah, exactly. So I've got my Robbie Anderson comps here, and the best one is is a no-name. The there's, there's not a single name on that list that anybody would actually recognize when you include draft position. Robbie Anderson's not going to break out this year. First of all, they don't have anybody to throw him the ball, uh, just like Brandon Marshall did last year. I mean, yeah, okay, Josh McCown, I guess he's an upgrade from Bryce Petty, but he's not that much of an upgrade either. So uh, I don't know why people are on Robbie Anderson. I'm not sure Robbie Anderson's better than Jalen Marshall. I don't think that Adarius Stewart is the answer at the number two wide receiver position because Adarius Stewart hasn't participated in camp. He hasn't been learning the position at the NFL level because he's been on the physically unable to perform list. And when rookies miss significant time in training camp, they rarely, rarely produce 
as rookies. I mean, Odell Beckham Jr., the singular outlier in that regard. But Jalen Marshall looks a lot like Robbie Anderson, only he's bigger and I think more likely to command a higher target share in a possession receiver role than Robbie Anderson will playing that field stretcher role. Because what good is a field stretcher on the Jets in 2017? I mean, just go out there and run wind sprints. That's the equivalent of being the Jets field stretcher. What a waste. Oh, yeah. I think it's Jalen Marshall suspended four games. So it's just a mess there at at wide receiver for the Jets. So but once he gets back from suspension, then I think Jalen Marshall becomes the number one wide receiver. Not that anyone should care about that, because the number one option in that passing game is actually going to be Bilal Powell. And the number two option is Austin Safarian Jenkins. Am I right? I'm I'm not so sure. I mean, he might be. He could be. But how could he not be? He's going to miss the first two games there. His who the hell is going to be catching passes for the Jets the first two games? Two of their best receivers are suspended. What the hell? I guess you have to play Robbie Anderson in GPPs in week one just because he's literally the only body out there running around. Who else are they going to throw to? Is Chad Hansen going to get snaps? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. If Chad Hansen gets snaps. Oh, shield your eyes, children. He's my boy. What? He's not great. He's just probably the best option they have. Oh, well, that's what I'm saying. But I'm not saying he's actually good. It's not like you would build a franchise around Chad Anson if you were a general manager. Get out of here. Take is he's better than our Darius Stewart who went around ahead of him, but that's not a huge take. <laughs> no, they're similar guys. They're possession receivers with nice agility. Okay. I mean, congratulations, Jets. I mean, you're stockpiling the low ceiling, mm-hmm. good but not great possession receiver. Congratulations, Jets. Yeah. You're really building a top flight franchise by chasing the guys with the high ceilings in the middle rounds. Er, no, wrong. You're not doing that. You're doing the exact opposite of that. If you're the Jets, you take big swings in the middle rounds. You don't draft our Darius Stewart and Chad fucking Hansen. But Austin Safarian Jenkins is a big swing. I know he hasn't done anything in a while, and he hasn't been good at football. I get it. But once upon a time, Austin Safarian Jenkins was the best tight end in his draft class, better than Eric Ebron in the 2014 draft class. I mean, 29.5% dominator rating, 86th percentile at a Division I program, Washington. And then the agility. We love agility from our tight ends. 1120 agility score at six at 260 pounds. That is exceptional size-adjusted agility for Austin Safarian Jenkins, and it makes sense. It's intuitive. You want that tight end who has great agility over the middle of the field so he can find those creases and crevices, and he can shift his body to make plays over the middle. It makes sense that the agility score is the most important of the workout metrics when evaluating tight ends. It's why I like Austin Safarian Jenkins so much. He was young, 189 Breakout age for a tight end is 95th percentile. So precocious producer in college with exceptional size-adjusted athleticism. Now he's being essentially thrust into the number one receiver role. Oh, woof, woof. Wheels up for Austin Safarian Jenkins. I'm telling you, this is a guy, if you're chasing upside at the tight end position, and you already have a tight end locked into your tight end one slot, right? Say it's Jason Witten. Well, that's the perfect strategy. 
You take a high floor tight end like a Jason Witten, and then you follow it up with a high ceiling tight end like Austin Safarian Jenkins. Now, looking at the rookies, we talked about Ardarius Stewart, Chad Hansen being low ceiling guys, which is just very Jets to draft low ceiling wide receivers in the middle rounds. That's their specialty. When you look at this rookie wide receiver class, who's the most underrated of all these rookie wide receivers? I know you want to say Chad Hansen. You can't say Chad Hansen. No, I don't even want to say Chad Hansen. Uh, I think it might actually be Taewon Taylor um, over there at Tennessee. Why? 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 First of all, his Phenom Index rating. So John Moore, he does the Phenom Index every year at Rotoviz. And if you look at Taewon Taylor, he's a pretty good Phenom Index producer. It's 1.83, which means... Love that phenom index for Taewon Taylor. Market share in college was one standard deviation better than all other rookie wide receivers. His age, almost a full standard deviation better uh, in terms of younger than all rookie class wide receivers. So you're talking about a guy who's a standard deviation above in production, a standard deviation below in age in the good direction. You've got a guy who is a producer. The Tennessee Titans already took a wide receiver, yet they then took another wide receiver in the third round, Taewon Taylor. They're going to use him. He's so good, they were compelled to draft him, even though they had already drafted Corey Davis with a top 10 pick. Bingo. Love it. Okay, most overrated rookie wide receiver. You can't say Mike Williams. Uh Jeez, I guess most overrated rookie wide receiver might actually be our Darius Stewart. Uh, his phenom index was 0.3, so he didn't do anything, and that's because he was old. He's you got to produce at a younger age in college, and our Darius Stewart just didn't yep. have that production. I know nope. went to Alabama. Ooh, oh Alabama! Oh, he went to Alabama. That's a NFL player factory. Except in mocks for the 2017 draft, you had a lot of Alabama players going in the early picks. And then a funny thing happened. During the NFL draft, players like Jonathan Allen fell 10 to 15 slots past where the mainstream sports media thought they would be drafted. As it turns out, the mainstream knucklehead sports fan thinks Alabama's better than even NFL scouts who are biased in favor of Alabama. The most overrated program for college prospects, by far and away, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Right there with you. Now, speaking of overrated players, Ezekiel Elliott. If Ezekiel Elliott misses two games, hypothetically, is Melvin Gordon a top three running back in fantasy? I wanted to say no, and I was going to say no, and everything pushed me towards saying no. Mm-mm. And then I actually looked up Melvin Gordon's numbers from last year, and I kind of have to say mm-hmm. yes, because mm-hmm. he A, he wasn't that good. He, he actually was below yards per carry uh, over expectation when you adjust for down distance and situation, but it wasn't that far below. Right. We have production premium, which essentially measures that, and he was even. His production premium was flat. Yep, basically right at, at average. His touchdown rate wasn't actually as high as people think it was when we say touchdown rate because he had 10 touchdowns, but it didn't actually come at a really high rate because he had 254 rushing attempts. He should still see that same amount of volume because 
and 52 red zone carries, top four in the NFL. Bingo. So if those volume numbers stay the same, yes, he actually would be a top three back, assuming obviously no injuries, no just total crap efficiency from the Chargers. What are, what are they going to do? Are they going to play Brandon Oliver more snaps? Right. Are they going to give all the short yardage work to Andre Williams, the most incompetent running back in the history of the NFL? No and no. But guess what could happen this year? Melvin Gordon could get better in his third year, as many running backs do. The team could get better and more efficient, particularly on the offensive line. So if there's offensive line run blocking improvement, suddenly you have a running back getting prolific volume who's also efficient. And then suddenly that's how a player reaches that David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell echelon. Exactly. And and that's the ceiling for Melvin Gordon. It's so much higher than most fantasy analysts give him credit for. Yeah, I mean, it's he had middling efficiency last year, and if it improves uh, and the volume uh, volume stays, uh, uh, it, 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 he's he's a top three RB. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Now, staying in Los Angeles, not San Diego. I still say St. Louis, so we're good. Whatever. Keenan Allen continues to slide down draft boards. Tyrell Williams continues to be an afterthought in drafts, and I just don't get it. Do you understand this? I, I don't understand it. I love Keenan Allen. I right? love right? Keenan Allen. The volume is massive. Well, what do you think is going to happen? Phillip Rivers is going to stop throwing the ball 600 times? What? Why would he stop throwing to Keenan Allen? Exactly. He's going to stop throwing to Keenan Allen? Eh, what? No. So, yeah, I just don't get it. You look at Keenan Allen's progression throughout his career. Every year he's improved in targets per game, except last year he only had seven targets per game, but he played one quarter, and he had seven <laughs> targets in one quarter. He <laughs> he's such a target magnet. He is. If there was a, a new invention of a target vacuum of some kind, I don't even know what that would look like, but let's say they invented a target vacuum and it's being marketed by Hoover, they would hire Keenan Allen as their spokesman. Tyrell Williams, too, though. I mean, oh, Tyrell Williams. Who are they going to throw to? I mean, they've got Hunter Henry, they got the shell of Antonio Gates. They, they don't have Danny Woodhead. Like it's the same team as last year at this point because Mike Williams is 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 out. Irrelevant. I mean, at this point, in terms of the, the the offensive weapons, it's the same team. Yeah, it's the same team. You're going to get some boom weeks from Travis Benjamin. You can book that. And Tyrell Williams has multi touchdown games in his future this season. Just you watch. I love stacking value-wide receivers on prolific offenses, and Keenan Allen and Tyrell Williams fit that tactic perfectly. Now, looking at running backs, running backs that like to catch passes, start with Duke Johnson. Is he rising up your board? He actually is, and uh, I, th I think the reason here is just the fact that they want to continue to use both backs in Cleveland, um, Duke Johnson. Is is essentially your discount Danny Woodhead, I think, in best ball leagues or in PPR leagues, um, you know, Duke Johnson. It, it doesn't make sense. Danny Woodhead going as the 25th back overall, and I'm still scrolling to find Duke Johnson. There he is, 38 P, uh, PPR RB 38 right now, and he can do the same thing Danny Woodhead does in Baltimore, and he might actually do it better this year. Well, the difference between Duke Johnson and Danny Woodhead is Duke Johnson has a higher ceiling. And this is comparing Duke Johnson to a player that was the number three running back in fantasy football in 2015. And that player, Duke Johnson, has a higher ceiling 
yeah. than Danny Woodhead because he's a satellite back plus. I love the satellite back plus. I love this. Sat- Nothing makes me happier than looking at my rosters and seeing the satellite back plus the Bilal Powells this year, Duke Johnson, CJ Proceis, the players that will be active out of the backfield in the passing game, but they have the size and the ability to run between the tackles and outside the tackles that if there are injuries or suspensions ahead of them on the depth chart, then they get vaulted into RB1 status immediately because in a bell cow role, if you're also catching a lot of passes, you're instantly an RB1 in fantasy. Instantly. 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 Now, I talked about CJ Prosize. Eddie Lacy hit his weight goal 250 pounds. Is Eddie Lacy the next Marshawn Lynch? Because the parallels are striking. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely are striking. Uh, I, I don't know if he's the next Marshawn Lynch, but I think he's the next Eddie Lacy. And by that, I mean he, he was a top 10 back his rookie year. And even his second year, he was a very productive back. I think Eddie Lacy could could get back to those levels depending on uh, what they do with him in the pass game. If they completely nix him out of the pass game, then I don't think so. But he did actually catch some passes. He did a lot of things in the passing game at Green Bay. He's on a prolific offense. Again, Seattle, an offense that moves the ball, that scores touchdowns. Uh, I think he's not the next Marshawn Lynch, but I think he might return towards some of the Eddie Lacy of old. I really like him at PPR 8, at, you know, running back ADP 30 right now uh, I like him even better in standard because then you don't have to worry about CJ pro size vulturing those targets but he is 250 pounds it's a feat of physiology that a 250 pound running back can somehow demonstrate quickness and burst on the football field but there's no denying Eddie Lacy's efficiency he was one of the most efficient running backs in limited time last season always near the top of the league in juke rate evaded tackles per touch on playerprofiler.com look at the list on the data analysis tool best juke rates in the NFL every year there is Eddie Lacy somehow some way I'm just not questioning it anymore it, it it defies intuition that a 250 pound back would be elusive but as it turns out it's actually true it, it, it's a fact the metrics tell you it's a fact now Jimmy Graham also lost weight so Eddie Lacy's down from 270 pounds to 250 pounds but Jimmy Graham also lost 20 pounds he went from 280 to 260 and that's not being reported also Jimmy Graham's greatness seems to have been forgotten I'm seeing Greg Olson drafted rounds ahead of Jimmy Graham in fantasy drafts and I have them as essentially equivalents do you think Jimmy Graham is being underrated in fantasy football this season I do uh I think he's being underrated he finally showed some of what he could do last year Obviously, it was in a a return year from a patellar tendon injury, which I thought, not being a medical doctor, was going to kill his career. Uh, Every time somebody tears a patellar tendon, their career is over. That's a small sample size trap. We're going to extrapolate a couple patellars that we've seen in the last few years on middling talents like Ryan Williams and use that evidence as somehow proof that players can't come back from patella injuries no if you're a fringe nfl player tearing your patella you're done 
if you're an elite NFL player and you tear your patellar, you're still very, very, very good. Maybe. I mean, this is might be the only case we've seen. There just aren't very many cases. We're not doctors. And I wanted you to be a doctor, but you're not even a real doctor. You're this math PhD guy. If you were a real doctor, we could have this conversation. But you're <laughs> not a doctor. All we know is what Jimmy Graham has been doing. He almost posted 1,000 yards last year, and he was just getting going. First game, one reception, 11 yards. And then he started to crank it up last year, and Jimmy Graham was Jimmy Graham again, baby. Yeah, no, and that's what I'm saying. I didn't think he could come back, and he did. No, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at the nameless, faceless straw men who write fantasy articles as if they're doctors. You know how the show works. Oh, yeah. Come on. So, I mean, he put up 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. He's lost 20 pounds, and, and, and you know, that's a good thing for a tight end. You mentioned the agility. He's going to gain some of that back. He, mm-hmm. he is still an elite tight end, and he's not being drafted as an elite tight end, If especially if he improves a year later after having more time to recover from that knee injury. Now, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. That's been established. Uh, but you'd have to think as a layperson that it probably doesn't hurt to get further away from your past injury. That's a better label for you, layperson. You should change your Twitter handle to Roto Layperson. No. So I have this whole show sheet dedicated to injury talk with Dr. Geffen, and you're not a doctor. So on we go. Corey Coleman pulled another hamstring. So what does that mean for Kenny Britt? What's Kenny Britt's range of outcomes in Cleveland this season? You, you clearly didn't look at my Twitter bio because it said math PhD. It says Kenny Britt truther. Kenny Britt is my man. I asked this question because of your Twitter bio. Well, there you go. Or maybe you just see me tweeting it a hundred times. But Kenny Britt could be, could be a could upper be. tier wide receiver two this year. Maybe mm. if everything breaks right, like the wide receiver thirteen overall. I, he definitely could be an upper tier wide receiver. If Deshaun Kaiser is somehow good, then it could happen. Yeah, you know what? He he was a wide receiver, borderline wide receiver two three. He was wide receiver twenty six overall on a PPR per game basis because he only played 15 games. He was wide receiver 24. That's a 12-team league. It's a wide receiver 2. Mm. That was with Jared Goff, who is one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen. Oh, oh. Jared Goff. Brutal. When he threw to Kenny Britt, the AYA, the adjusted yards per attempt, was 8.3. When he threw to everybody else, 4.2. Kenny Britt has done this throughout his career with terrible quarterbacks. Vince Young, uh, Jake Locker. Um, you know, he, he's done this time and time again, Austin Davis. He's made the quarterbacks better when they throw to him than when they throw to anybody else by full 2.0 adjusted yards per attempt. That is elite. Kenny Brute, we forget he was an elite talent coming out of college. He was one of the highest rated phenom index prospects in all of our phenom index data set. I will never forget that. Kenny Britt, in, remember his second, people say, oh, he hasn't done anything in so many, so many years other than obviously this past year. People forget his second year. He was on pace. Log a thousand yards with Jared Goff. Just that. Just that. Just that. The, the guy, and in, 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 I posted another comparable on my Kenny Britt article. In efficiency, he's been almost exactly equal to Alshon Jeffrey. The only difference is volume. He hasn't had the volume of Alshon Jeffrey. And the steroids. Cleveland throws a lot more than uh, than St. Louis did last year, so he should upgrade from what he did at St. Louis last year. And he's the wide receiver one on a team where the wide receiver one last year, Terrell Pryor, had 25% target share. Even in games when Corey Coleman played, he had 25% target share. So Woo! I think Kenny Britt 
is if he gets the volume this year, he is wide receiver two upside, high end wide receiver two upside. Pick one: Nelson Aguilar or Jordan Matthews. Uh, it's got to be Jordan Matthews. It has to be, right? Yeah, it has, it, to, it be. has to be. Nelson Aguilar, one of the worst wide receivers uh, of last year in terms of you know depth adjusted efficiency and Pro Football Focus ranked him dead last two years in a row. Brutal. Pick one: Jalen Strong or Wendell Williams. You know the fact that this is even a question is kind of sucky because Jalen Strong was a very good prospect coming out of college, and now we're comparing him to a guy who went to I, I can't even remember the name. It was like Cumberland or something. At Cumberland's college, he was a former basketball player, and he washed out in the NBA, and he decided to become an NFL player, just like Terrell Pryor washed out as a quarterback and decided to become an NFL wide receiver. Wendell Williams could be the small version of Terrell Pryor, an exquisite athlete who learns the position and then gets an opportunity and just starts making big plays yeah and 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 like i said the fact that it's even a question just goes to show how on underperforming i guess uh underwhelming jalen strong has been uh, just a bunch of nothing in the nfl and i don't think he was productive enough at arizona state i wish he was more productive when i see players with these exceptional height adjusted speed scores and these great catch radius numbers on playerprofiler.com if they're not hugely dominant in college to me, that's a red flag, that they're underperforming their athleticism. That's one of the great warning buoys for me, are the players that could not dominate in college as their athleticism would suggest. It's the Cody Latimer corollary. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you, and then you, like, let, let's look at somebody else who uh, ha- was basically the same age. Kenny Britt, uh, we go back to him. Back when he was in college, he put up way higher production than Jalen Strong did. So um, not productive enough at his age, Jalen Strong. So It'd be different if he was competing for targets at Arizona State with another exceptional receiver, like we saw with Odell Beckham Jr. competing with Jarvis Landry at LSU. That's explainable. But when a guy goes to Arizona State yeah. and he can't produce... There's no excuse for that. There's just no rationalization. He just lacks the nuance and the je ne sais quoi factor that you're looking for from an NFL wide receiver. You can put him in and he might score a touchdown here or there, just like you put in Justin Hunter or Doro Green Beckham and they score touchdowns here and there. But they're not quality NFL players. We've seen enough to know. Get Wendell Williams. I love Wendell Williams. The answer is Wendell Williams. He's Spider-Man. Now, what is your favorite backfield stack of the NFL? Think DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry on the same team. So in redraft leagues, what backfield are you stacking? Uh, I, I think it might depend on the format, but I actually like stacking because ADP is a thing. I actually like stacking a guy we've already talked about, two guys we've already talked about, Eddie Lacy and CJ Procise. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> Precisely, exactly. Eddie Lacy, ADP 30 in PPR League. CJ Procise, 38 right now in best ball leagues. And Bingo. Yeah, I mean, you stack those two, you'll get production from both. And should something happen to one or the other, they probably will inherit the other's workload. It's a high upside, high floor strategy. Yeah. It's getting great value with anti-fragility built into the value proposition. It's the no-brainer running back tactic in fantasy football. Yep, I'm with you right there, and uh, I think those two... I mean, it depends on the ADP. It's probably not a good idea to stack Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman because you're investing two picks in the first five rounds in running back, and that's not generally a good idea. But when you're talking about running backs drafted in rounds six, seven, eight, nine, ten, yeah. I remember you could do this many months ago with Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson. 
And then somehow, some way, Isaiah Crowell's ADP became a helium balloon, and that stack was officially off the table. But Eddie Lacy, CJ Procise, still very much on the table, and you can get safe upside. It's anti-fragile upside. It's such a beautiful thing. So we talked about Kenny Britt, how he roared back last season. Who's another historically productive player that the fantasy football community just forgot about, but you think could roar back in 2017? I don't know. This is a this is a tough one. Um, it is a tough one. That's why I ask these questions, because they're stumpers. But when you finally find the answer, it's typically interesting. Well, and see, that's the thing. I've been trying to find the answer and trying to find the answer and trying to find the answer, and I haven't figured it out. But I did write two names down, and I don't know. One of them probably hasn't been in the NFL long enough to really count, and that's Carlos Hyde. Uh, I don't love Carlos Hyde. I didn't like it. I was the biggest Carlos Hyde hater two years ago. Well, Carlos Hyde doesn't count because Carlos Hyde was actually productive last season. Right, exactly. I mean, you can't say that a guy that scored 15 fantasy points per game is going to roar back. Was he going to roar back with 25 fantasy points per game? Is it going to be David Johnson? No. Who's the other guy on your list? Yeah, well, then the other guy on my list is, again, it's another guy who actually was kind of productive last year, and that was Mike Williams, or sorry, Mike Wallace. Uh, but again, he was a guy that produced last year. I'm just having a hard time finding somebody who's historically productive. Yeah, you're not playing this game well. You're failing at this game. Well, well who's your guy? Jason Witten. Jason Witten is your guy there. Because Jason Witten suffered under the tyranny of hugely positively skewed game script. So they didn't throw. Dallas was 32 in the NFL among 32 teams in total pass attempts. So, of course, Jason Witten wasn't going to be productive if they're not throwing the ball. But guess what? The Dallas Cowboys go from having the easiest schedule in the league to one of the hardest schedules in the league. And that means more competitive games. That means more pass attempts. And that means more Jason Witten. He's not dead yet. This is his final season as a tight end one in fantasy. Book it. I love it. I mean, I guess you could say somebody like uh, Eli Manning or Andy Dalton in the quarterback position. Eli Manning would be an interesting one. So you think Eli Manning could roar back? Definitely. I mean, look at the receiving weapons he has now. Thankfully, Sterling Shepard's okay there. Um, he, you know, they've got an offensive line that can do some things now. They, they're not great, but they're better. I, you know, I think Andy Dalton overall, the offense, uh, Andy Dalton, uh, Eli Manning overall, the offense is better. He's got the weapons around him now that where last year he had a shell of Victor Cruz. He had a rookie Sterling Shepard who all he did was catch touchdown passes, but he wasn't actually good anywhere else. Maybe he improves a little bit. They've got a useful tight end now. I know he's kind of a hybrid tight end wide receiver, but he's kind of a hybrid. He's the quintessential hybrid tweener, not going to be good NFL tight end, but they do have Will Ty. So ideally, Will Ty steps up in running situations as the blocking tight end. Ideally, Will Ty steps up and catches touchdowns. And just like Eric Swoop in Indianapolis, vultures touchdowns from Evan Ingram. And I can't wait to see the look on the hipster fantasy gamers' faces. (laughs) Love it. I think no. I think with uh, Eli Manning, he supported two wide receiver, you know, twos or better before in his career multiple times, and he can do that again this year. That I'll back him at Brandon Marshall. So Eli Manning is my my pick of your roaring back as a veteran game. We like Brandon Marshall, of course. We like Odell Beckham Jr. If you like the two receivers, by definition, you have to like the quarterback, unless it's Denver. I mean, Denver's the exception to that rule. Yeah. What about Carolina though? Because their top two receivers are both 
6'4 or taller Kelvin Benjamin, Devin Funches. But it seems like fantasy analysts have been slow to process the fact that Devin Funches is going to log a 90% snap share this season. Have you processed that? I haven't. Uh, I've been slow to process that as well. Well, start processing, Nick. Start processing it. Just get out your calculator, Mr. Math PhD, and process the numbers. No wide receiver with Devin Funches' projected target share is being drafted so late. You have to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll in draft rooms to find this guy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make sense. Wide receiver 73. I'm in the Apex Writers League with Christopher Harris, Rich Rebar, Graham Barfield, Mike Clay, J.J. Zacharyson, Mike Broad, Matt Harmon, Evan Silva, Sigmund Bloom, Denny Carter, and Sean Siegel. And in the 12th round, pick 139, Fantasy Mansion selects Devin Funches! He puts the fun in Funches. I drafted him after Jamal Williams, Kenny Stills, and Jonathan Williams. Please. Please. I don't hate it, but I, I'm, why not do it in the 15th round? Because this is an expert league. You have to take players a couple rounds before they would typically go in the normal knucklehead league. I also had to take Cole Beasley in the 11th round. Fair enough. Because Giovanni Bernard was taken in the 11th round. Giovanni Bernard never goes in the 11th round. But yeah. the undervalued players have their prices corrected in drafts that are this competitive. And given the alternatives in the 12th round, Devin Funches was by far and away the best available wide receiver. And and where I like taking him is, so if you're playing these NFL 10s, these best balls, he's ADP right now is 205. What? 205. No. Just take him seriously, dead serious. His best ball ADP right now in MFL 10s is 205. Get out. So this was like a hot take pick by me. I love it. If you're one of those guys like me, I like to take three defenses in MFL 10s in rounds like 17, 18, 19, because I want to guarantee I get three defenses. Take Devin Funches in the 16th, or maybe you sometimes can even find him in the 20th. I don't think that's that's going to happen most times, but if maybe you do a uh, three defense and you go 18, 19, 20, then you can take Devin Funches in the 17th. That's still before his, uh, right at his ADP would be the end of the 17th round. His ADP is wrong. Listen to me. People that draft in these way too early fantasy leagues, Devin Funches' ADP is wrong. It's just wrong and you need to go correct it go do that now we talked about wide receiver stacks in this apex writers league i have eric decker and richard matthews i also have emmanuel sanders and demarius thomas so i am stacking the wide receivers baby i'm eating my own dog food i don't even know what that means it's a cliche i don't even get it but on we go to rapid fire are you there nick i am i'm here Okay, rapid fire. Got stuck on the dog food. I abhor cliches, and here I am spouting a cliche, and one of the worst cliches ever been uttered on these airwaves, and of course, the show grinds to a halt when that happens, but we can pull it out of the tailspin immediately with some rapid fire. Which wide receiver are you most bullish on versus his ADP? Obviously, Kenny Britt. 
No, one you haven't said already. One I haven't said already. Let's go with uh, Richard Matthews. There it is. Yes, Richard Matthews. Why Richard Matthews? Uh, the guy was what a wide receiver 19 last year. He's going in the 11th round of ADP right now in best ball leagues. I think that's absurd. He could be, could be the wide receiver one on the Titans. I know Decker's there. I know Corey Davis is there, but he's technically number one on the depth chart. There. Yeah, he, he's one on the depth chart. I mean, there will be more competition, so he's not going to put up the year he put up last year. But relative to his 11th round ADP, I think he's a, a huge value. Which wide receiver are you most bearish on versus his ADP? Tyreek Hill. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, 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 woo, woo. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I'm leaning forward in my chair. Zero shares of Tyreek Hill. The, the ADP is absurd. Zero, zero, absurd, absurd. Keep going. He's being drafted in the fourth round, like midway into the fourth round. You, this is a guy who you, the only reason he's being drafted so high is because he returned like 800 kick, you know, returns for touchdowns. He had uh, a couple really long plays, but the guy is not going to see the volume to sustain that ADP. The only way. Well, if he does get the volume, he's going to be so grossly inefficient with it that he won't be a WR2. In no scenario does he return WR2 numbers in fantasy. No scenario. It's impossible. He could get 200 targets, and it's not going to happen. Ah, I'm, I'm 100% with you. And People just remember the big plays. Yeah, he's probably going to be usable a few weeks in DFS, but in season-long leagues... You are taking a boomer bust player in the high leverage rounds when you want to be avoiding risk. Uh, that's the whole premise of zero RB is the anti-fragile. You want to embrace the risk in the later rounds and, and avoid the risk in the early rounds. That's why we take these safe, consistent wide receivers in the early round. Tyreek Hill is not one of those. It's so funny how fantasy gamers think that one plus one plus one equals three. That we can just take the best qualities of Tavon Austin, electric in space, the best qualities of Percy Harvin, the fact that he was a converted running back from college to the NFL, and Corderell Patterson, just wow factor return game skills, and just put those players in a chamber, and then outsteps Tyreek Hill, the perfect offensive weapon. As if that's even what you would want in a fantasy football wide receiver. It's not. You're much better off with a player that he's replacing at the number one wide receiver position, Jeremy Macklin. Because Jeremy Macklin understands how to run routes, how to get leverage on defenders, how to secure the ball in traffic. These are skills that Tyreek Hill will likely never develop because he was a running back in college and he hasn't been afforded the opportunity to become what Jeremy Macklin was. He'll never be Jeremy Macklin. And Jeremy Macklin is the most undervalued wide receiver in all of fantasy. Meanwhile, the guy replacing him in Kansas City is the most overvalued wide receiver in fantasy. Now, who's the most underrated running back in fantasy based on his ADP? Rex Burkhead. Ooh. Love Rex Burkhead. Uh, this guy was super efficient in Cincinnati, both in yards per carry over expectation relative to down distance field position, etc. Uh, he, he can score at the goal line and you, you put him on a New England offense where uh, LeGarrette Blunt rushed for 18 touchdowns last year. Let's say they put up anywhere close to those touchdown rushing touchdown numbers. Burkhead is going to sap some of those. And then, you know, you look at the fact that his ADP right now in best ball leagues is hold on. I'm typing it here. Bricks Burkhead. Uh, his ADP 
is running back 62, 186 overall. Uh, that's that he's going to beat that value. I promise you. If if, if he's used at the goal line at all, he can, even if he gets four or five touchdowns this year, that's plenty to beat that running back 62 ADP. I am in this Apex Writers League with your colleague at Rotoviz, Sean Siegel, and Sean Siegel drafted Rex Burkhead. Where? At slot 133. Boom. Love it. The first pick in the 12th round, Rex Burkhead by Sean Siegel. Why? Because Sean Siegel knows what he's doing. Now, which running back are you most bearish on versus his ADP? Jay Ajayi, actually. So uh, this is a guy we talk about. We talk about boomer bust. <gasps> he was boom oh. and, and, and like meh last year. So if you split out his three 200-yard games, and I don't like doing this. The floor on Jay Ajayi is a 100-meter hole in the basement. Mm-hmm. You split out those three 200-yard games. He only averaged 11 PPR points in those other games. Now, obviously, uh, you, you say, okay, well, he wasn't a starter in those first three or four or whatever. I removed those two. Still, 11.2 PPR points per game in the non-200-yard games. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't have upside. He certainly has upside, obviously. But we've already seen the ceiling. We saw the fluky ceiling last year. So now you're paying for a player in the first round at his ceiling. Why are you buying all the risk? Why? Doesn't make any sense. And maybe he gets one 200-yard game this year. Maybe. Maybe. Those are very hard to achieve. Maybe he gets one. We can't expect two or three. It's one thing to draft Jordan Howard knowing the Bears have one of the best run-blocking offensive lines. It's another thing to draft a running back on a bad offense that also has a bad run-blocking unit. That just makes no damn sense. I'm with you. I I don't have any Jay Ajayi this year. Mine's Paul Perkins, because fuck Paul Perkins. Paul Perkins is in a touch squeeze. He's going to lose goal line carries to Wayne Gallman because Wayne Gallman's a better between the tackles runner. And he's going to lose targets to Shane Vereen because Shane Vereen's one of the best satellite backs in the NFL, has been for many years. So what does that leave? Between the tackles carries for the Giants, who have one of the worst run blocking units that we've seen in recent times. In the last 10 years, the Giants have not produced a fantasy relevant running back other than a season of Brandon Jacobs with double digit touchdowns. I mean, that's the list. You got to go all the way back to Tiki Barber to find a running back of consequence operating on this Giants offense, and nothing has changed. Their offensive line still can't run block, and it's still a committee. So explain to me drafting Paul Perkins in the first 10 rounds of a fantasy draft. Explain this to me. Can you? I can't. I can't. You can't. No, I have I have one Paul Perkins share, and that was when he fell to the 12th round. So what you're saying is, you know, what running back are you most bearish on versus ADP? Paul Perkins is one of those. But if he falls beyond his ADP, there is still some floor there, I guess, as a starter, technically. Right, of course. You're going to draft Paul Perkins before Thomas Rawls. You're going to draft Paul Perkins before... Rob Kelly, you're going to draft Paul Perkins before Jamal Williams. I get it. At some point, every player is a value in drafts, but not in the single-digit rounds for Paul Perkins. I mean, his ceiling is average running back. That's his ceiling. The best Paul Perkins can ever be in the NFL is average. His floor is out of the league in a year. So get out of here with Paul Perkins. And now I'll get you out of here with my final question, the same question I always ask. Who's that one wide receiver who's been in the league a few years that you qualify for truther status on? It paid off last year with Kenny Britt. Who's your truther for this season? Uh, my truther for this season is Marvin Jones. I love his ceiling. Uh, he, he's 
Marvin Jones. He's streaky, but I think Marvin Jones was fantasy relevant last season. What are you talking about? Yeah, but but look at his ADP right now. No, no, you need a player that's a sleeper. This year's Adam Thielen, someone no one's talking about who's been in the league a couple years, but there's some interesting things on his profile and you're holding out hope. Not Marvin Jones who logged double digit fantasy points per game last season. That doesn't count. All right. You stink at these games. Most of the canned premises that I'm throwing at you, you're failing. Fair enough. Uh, I failed. I failed out of school, obviously. That's how I got my doctorate. No, you did it. You're a math PhD, not a medical doctor. That's been established. If there's one thing we've learned on this show is you're not a medical doctor, but you're also very smart. You have a PhD in something else that's not actually helpful. Well, see, now I have to go searching through the list because I, I wasn't quite sure what you meant by this question. You don't know what a truther is? Well, I do, but I didn't. It's one of the most overused phrases on football Twitter. I didn't realize you were going to nix Kenny Britt from the list, so I prepared Kenny Britt. But he had 1,000 yards last season. Yeah. You're giving me these 1,000-yard receivers as truthers. What are you doing? All right. Here's one guy who who can, and I think it, it, it really is contingent maybe a little bit on Julio Jones, but Mohamed Sanu, his ADP is way down there. Okay, okay. Remember the year A.J. Green got injured? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're, I'm, I'm, I'm following you down this path. Mohamed Sanu and Bananas the year A.J. Green got injured. Mm. Now, who's his wide receiver competition there? Taylor Gabriel? Uh, mm-hmm. Decent, I guess. Okay. But that's it. That's it. Mohamed Sanu is an interesting option because we know the Atlanta Falcons are a prolific offense, but they're not going to be as efficient this season especially in the run game. So if the run game is getting shut down more often, they're going to have to throw more. The pass volume will go up. That's going to help Julio Jones, but that also helps Muhammad Sanu. That's going to help Julio Jones, but that also helps Muhammad Sanu. Sanu was good last year, too. His his adjusted yards per attempt when thrown to was 9.1. Over his career, Andy Dalton, 7.7 to Sanu. Matt Ryan, of course, 9.1. It's not like he's got people throwing four, five, six yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt to him. He's actually pretty decent at what he does. And if somehow something were to happen to Julio Jones, which has happened in his career multiple times before, Mohamed Sanu could be uh, the benefactor of that. Show's over, Nick. (laughs) We went out on my crescendo. Sweet. Most people get punked by the end of the show. I I was one of those, apparently. You fell for it. But don't worry. Your exquisite Mohamed Sanu take will be available in the outtakes. I also liked your uh, your Darth Vader there at the beginning. Because there's that one guy that listens to Rotoviz Radio who's listening to me for the first time going, holy shit, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> yep. What the hell is his problem, man? Oh, yeah. But I kind of like it. That show is for that guy. Oh, oh. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Is Chad Hansen going to get snapped? Yes, yes. Oh my God! Oh my God! If Chad Hansen gets snaps. 
Oh, shield your eyes, children. He's my boy. Really building a top flight franchise by chasing the guys with the high ceilings in the middle rounds. Er, no, wrong. You're not doing that. You're doing the exact opposite of that. You're wrong. And here's why. $10 million in sponsorships. Oh, wait, oh, let's just give that money to Jay Cutler instead. Obviously. The best Paul Perkins can ever be in the NFL is average. Obviously. The quarterback. The quarterback. Yeah, Friedman thinks he can just put me on autopilot and just go. Like I'm just a take machine. He gets the podcast a cruising altitude, then he just flips it over to take autopilot and says, uh, you can take it from here, Matt. I'm going to go and have a drink of scotch. And it's like, okay, I guess. What do you want me to do? Oh, just talk about 32 straight players. It's just go, 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 go. Next one, next one, next one. He never intervenes with, with any analysis. He's just like ramps. 49ers. He's just trying to get the thing over with. I mean, I've never been on a podcast where someone was mailing it in to such an extent. He was clearly mailing it in. And it's like, how do I mail in a show? Oh, I just turn on the take machine. Matt Kelly. Yep. That, that's the easiest way to do it. Just uh, throw it over to you and, and let you go off and uh, then forget where you're at. You know, I, I record those NASCAR podcasts with Matt, so I know how it is. He just lets me go off on my NASCAR tangents and rants and uh, then kind of forgets that I'm a three-time qualifier instead of a two-time qualifier for the main event. We're not going to talk about NASCAR today. Is that okay? Let's say they invented a Target vacuum and it's being marketed by Hoover. They would hire Keenan Allen as their spokesman. Obviously. So you an actual doctor or is that just the Twitter handle? It's a PhD, so it's a yes, an actual doctor, but not a medical doctor. Oh. Well, I have a question on here about Ryan Tannehill's knee, because I thought you were an actual doctor. The whole setup of the show was where you were a doctor to come on to talk about Ryan Tannehill. That's the whole setup of the show. That's the whole premise of having you on the show, is that you're a doctor to talk about Ryan Tannehill, and then we're going to talk about other things. Yeah, I did stay at Holiday Inn last night. We're not doctors, and I wanted you to be a doctor, but you're not even a real doctor. You're this math PhD guy. If you were a real doctor, we could have this conversation, but you're not a doctor. That's a better label for you, layperson. You should change your Twitter handle to Roto Layperson. Obviously. Kenny Britt is my man. Jimmy Graham was Jimmy Graham again, baby. Love that phenom index for Taewon Taylor. Jalen Marshall suspended four games, so it's just a mess there. At, Is he really? At wide receiver for the Jets, so. He's suspended four games? That's uh, that's the impression I'm under, so. Oh, God, I didn't even know that. I, you can see I didn't do any research. Moving on. And I can't wait to see the look on the hipster fantasy gamers' faces. Outsteps Tyreek Hill. I'm eating my own dog food. Obviously. No, no, you need a player that's a sleeper. You stink at these games. Most of the canned premises that I'm throwing at you, you're failing. I failed out of school, obviously. That's how I got my doctorate. 
you have a PhD in something else that's not actually helpful. Oh, 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 oh,